I am Daniel Hagnorn from Preparing Kids for Life at pk4l.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. Uh, so this is uh, day four of our 365-day journey with you. My wife and I, we are, we are passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. We talk about the principles that any parent can learn and apply to help their children discover the best version of themselves. We, we dig in and answer every parent's most basic fears. Why? Because these are the same fears we grappled with. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent. Things like, I'm not qualified. I'm going to mess my kids up. For the next 365 days, you are invited into our experiment, and we are going to walk alongside your journey as your personal outfitter, guide, and ally every day, every step of the way. And we just want to share uh, our journey with you and walk alongside your journey as well. So I just want to start the show off by talking a little bit about, of course, the topic. What are we going to talk about? Well, one of the things that I have found is that in, in, in order to really get to the bottom of anything, you have to talk about the belief system that runs it. We talked in yesterday's show just about how powerful belief systems are. Today, I want to focus on where uh, some of our belief systems actually came from. And so this episode is going to deal with the influence of school in our lives, in our thinking, in our beliefs. You know, I, I approach this kind of from an interesting background. I, I was a teacher for 14 years in, in high school. Before that, I, I worked for three years as a volunteer teacher at my old high school. Uh, I, I've been around, and in fact, even to this day, I, I love kids in the classroom so much, I, I still sub every now and, now and then. But, you know, the thing is, is that um, this process of schooling, is um, and I, and I use the term schooling rather than education because that's so much of what happens is unfortunately uh, boys and girls are are taught not how to think but what to think uh, they are indoctrinated into uh, a religion and and that may sound a little shocking or a little surprising but. Torcaso V. Watkins identified secular humanism as a religion, and secular humanism is exactly what is taught in the school system. Uh, that's just embedded in the DNA. It's in the drinking water at this point. And one of the things that's, that's kind of interesting in this process is just how much um, that sort of thinking has actually infiltrated in. It's it's in textbooks. It's just, it's just a, it's the governing ideology that's in textbooks. It's just what teachers learn at their, uh, in teacher training and teacher ed classes. It's, it's in, like I said, the drinking water. And so, uh, if you're, you know, if you're religious or, or if you're non-religious, you know, it, it seems to me that parents would be kind of upset that the school system has taken it upon itself to teach religion to their child. It seems to me like that's a much more of a personal choice. 
Uh, that's something that you know every parent needs to decide for their own family uh, what that's going to look like and how that's going to be. And the idea that the school system just sort of takes that on is uh, a little disturbing to say the least. So one of the things that we're going to dig into in this episode today is um, how schooling has formed and shaped our belief system. And I want to just, I'm taking a very deliberate pause for a second because I want you to really think about and consider how has schooling affected your thinking? Because I'm going to suggest that it's probably affected your thinking much more than you realize. So let me just take a literally, I promise it won't get weird, but we'll just take just 10 seconds of silence to really think about that for just a little bit. Hang on one second, we'll start the clock now. Okay. So, I don't know if you came up with something. I mean, I obviously didn't want to leave a lot of dead time on the podcast, but the point is, is that a lot of times we just don't think about uh, some of the things that, um, well, that we learn, that we learn. And one of the things that I think um, you could say is, one of the one of the objectives of school is to is to do two things and i'm going to i'm going to say something that that might catch you off guard or might surprise you um if you want to go in you can read john taylor gatto's the underground history of american education uh you can read charlotte iserby you can read um carol quigley's book there are a lot of great resources that will take you down a very deep rabbit hole. Uh, but to shorten our discussion a little bit and make it not so long and not so involved, I'm just going to simply, I'm just going to simply say this: our our belief systems, what we believe, um, is shaped partially by time. Now, you may not consider, have thought about this, but if you really think about it, um, our children, if we go to, if we send them to schools, they're in school seven hours a day, five days a week, 40 weeks a year for 13 years, kindergarten through 12th grade. That comes out to 18,200 hours. Another way of looking at that, is 2.7 years. Any way you slice it, that's a very significant chunk of time that is claimed by school. When you add to that the fact that our kids, K through 12, are going to have an average of 48 teachers. Now, let me just pose a quick question to you. Can you imagine putting an ad in, say, Craigslist or on Facebook for 48 strangers to watch and observe and manage and teach and train and school your children for the next 2.7 years away from your supervision, away from 
you having any influence or connection with them? I can't imagine any parent doing that. And yet that's exactly what happens in the process of putting our kids in school is they are being trained and monitored and managed uh, and taught and indoctrinated by 48 people that you know virtually nothing about, 48 strangers. And we don't often think of it that way, but that's, that's what's going on. And I think it's important to kind of think this, this through because it is a little bit of a different way of looking at it. It's a, it represents kind of going outside the, the box a little bit. It, it might even make us a little uncomfortable. But think about this, the reason it's uncomfortable The reason it's uncomfortable is because we've been trained to think about education in particular as happening in a very specific way. And the truth of the matter is that education or schooling in this country for a very, very long time has existed because of one basic reason. Children drive purchases. That was something that the industrialists realized very early on. In fact, up until 1915, the industrialists like Carnegie and Guggenheim and Rockefeller and Ford, they were the largest contributors to education. They, they put uh, almost all the money into education up till about 1915. Um, now, the interesting thing is that even to this day, their foundations exist and they donate millions and millions of dollars to education. Um, but here's, here's the thing. They realized very early on that children drive purchases. By the way, it's still the same thing today. So they had to look at the consumer. Well, first they realized that bored people make the best consumers. So school had to become of necessity, a boring place where, where children were trained to endure boredom. By the way, I want them to draw a distinction, not use boredom as a way of pushing them into forcing themselves to become creative. No, just training them to endure boredom. Now, initially, that was to endure the boredom of the assembly line. Now, in more modern times, they're trained to endure the boredom of the cubicle. And so that was the first thing. The second thing, though, is that Uh, they realized is that childish people are the easiest consumers to manipulate. So childishness has to be extended as long and as far as possible. You know, it's interesting to note that until about 100 years ago, the term adolescent didn't even exist. It was added in by an educational psychologist who was trying to, again, extend this childishness as long as we possibly can. And of course, movies like Failure to Launch and many, many, many multitudes of others and sitcoms, it's full of the, you know, the, the, the man child sort of template that, uh, the, the man who really isn't growing up. And, and of course, children are encouraged to, to, to be childish and, and so forth as long as they possibly can. And it's for those reasons. And so if you're a, if you think about this and extend this a little bit, if let's say you are, because uh, that may sound a little bit, whoa, Dan, come on, man, that's, that's a little crazy there. Okay, but 
hang with me for a second and, and just follow follow my thinking through on this. So if let's say you are Apple, okay, and you have people who are showing up three days ahead of time and camping out in front of your store just for the privilege of handing over their money for whatever new innovation you have created and are now selling, that's pretty good marketing. But furthermore, if you were Apple, who would you rather sell to? Would you rather sell to somebody who says, well, you know, let me think about this purchase. First of all, do I have enough money to buy it? I mean, can I really afford it? Or are there things that I should be using uh, my money for that uh, would be much more beneficial? What's the pros and the cons of this? How, how much quality is this phone versus how much I'm actually having to pay for it. You don't want somebody thinking through the pros and the cons and analyzing if it's even something you can afford. You want somebody who's like, oh, that's really cool, shiny, I gotta buy it. That's who you want as a consumer, right? If you're a politician, do you want someone who's going to carefully look up your voting record to make sure that you have voted in a way that essentially aligns with their preferences? Are you going to want somebody as a constituent who looks up where you're getting your money from, how much money you're getting from, what organizations approve or disapprove of your campaigns? No. You want somebody who on a 20-second YouTube uh, post goes, oh, wow, that person's really cool. I think I'm going to vote for them because they're like, cool and stuff. That's who you want. You don't want somebody who's actually thinking about things like how you voted or who you're taking money from. See, and that's that's part of the problem is that we don't realize just how deeply these, these systems get embedded until, until we start thinking about this. And then you realize, yeah, and you start taking a look around and you go, yeah, where... Where is that education coming from? We're, we're being schooled to believe certain things. And again, we're not being trained to think for ourselves. We're being trained what to think, not how to think. That's a very, very scary thing. You know, one of the things that Adolf Hitler remarked to Hermann Rauschening, who was one of his ministers. And he, he said something along the lines of, you know, we don't need to, uh, we don't need to, to take over institutions. We, we socialize people, right? We already own the children. I don't need to, uh, I don't need to think about who I, I'm going to convince or take over or any of those things. It's a very interesting proposition when you start thinking about this idea of where our beliefs came from and how influential school was in getting there. But let me pull this in particular into parenting. So you're a parent and you have this, this insecurity, like somehow I'm not qualified to be a parent. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, who told you that? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that a lot of that came from 
you know, in school, we become accustomed to having an expert, aka a teacher, give us their approval or disapproval. We are trained to have them validate or invalidate what we say, what we think, what we write, how we read, all of it. And so using gold stars and smiley faces, and then later on they use grades and GPAs and class ranks, but but it's a process of training us to rely on someone else other than ourselves to decide whether or not we are good at something or whether we know something. And honestly, all throughout history up until very recently, it's it's the ability to test oneself that matters most. You know, in the real world, when you're out there, you can't rely on a teacher to give you a smiley face and a gold star on your paper. You need to know for yourself what good quality work looks like. You need to know within yourself that you're capable of producing good quality work and that you have enough ability to evaluate that work. And if it is not good, then to make whatever necessary corrections to make sure that your work is good. And this is part and parcel of a process of thinking. But that belief system, part of why we don't believe we're somehow qualified to be parents. In fact, it's very interesting that uh, a lot of people in the, um, in the educational field have felt like, um, you know, in reality, parents are in the way. And that's, that's kind of a, a scary, kind of a scary thing to, to think about, really. But, and, and again, that may even sound a little bit, um, hmm, well, it, it may sound a little bit unbelievable or, or a little bit like, oh, wow, I don't know. Are you exaggerating that a little bit? Um, but here's here's the thing. Um, one of the one of the things that um, that schooling does is it teaches you to think about how we measure things in a very particular way. For example, if you got an A on something, then we believe that that means something. Well, I can tell you as a teacher of 14 years that, you know, A's mean very little. So do F's. Sometimes an A is simply a student who's very good at regurgitating information that I told them would be on the test. And they're very good at writing down that information in a review session and then studying that information until they've memorized it sufficiently to get a good score on a test but they can't actually speak intelligently about that topic or subject. See, the thing is, is that true learning happens, for example, when you can teach something in simple terms to someone else. If you can't do that, you haven't learned. We're simply having a discussion over how familiar you are with something, but you haven't actually learned it. That's, that's something that you really kind of you kind of need to um, keep in mind 
because we don't think about that. We just say, well, if you got an A, then you've learned, move along. If you got an F, you didn't learn, and now we have to remediate you. Well, sometimes an F just means that a student didn't try at all. Sometimes it means that they didn't really understand what was being asked of them. Sometimes it means that they're really just not good taking standardized tests. And since standardized tests are not something that we actually do, you know, we don't have our mechanic complete a standardized test to work on our car. We just want to know, hey, can you fix my car or not for a reasonable price? If we have a plumbing issue at our house, we just care that the plumber knows what they're doing and they can repair whatever's wrong at a reasonable price. We don't care about them passing some standardized test. Okay. So in the real world, it's more focused on results, not standardized tests. Standardized tests don't actually mean anything. There's a number of studies that have kind of talked uh, a great deal actually about how, um, how little that means, how little that means. Um, so that's one way that, that parents, you know, I'm kind of talking about school, but I want you to kind of understand the, the connection. Now you filter that through and then you're looking back as a parent and now you have a child. And now you're having to make decisions for that child and, and help that child discover you know, what their future is going to look like. And, and there's this thing that's already been built into you. It's like I said, it's in the drinking water. And now you're feeling like, oh boy, I've got to now do something and I don't know what to do because I don't have a certificate in this or I don't have some sort of qualification. Well, you know, you might have noticed already that your kids didn't come with any instructions, right? There are basic principles. We're going to talk about some of those principles in future podcasts, but there are principles that you can learn that apply to anybody. And let me just maybe take a minute to talk about the difference between principles and practicals. So principles, principles are things that are as true today as they were yesterday as they will be tomorrow, okay? They're things that don't change. So they're worth learning and getting a foundation with. However, practicals are very different. Practicals work for individuals or for circumstances, okay? but they're they're unique. The practicals that might work for my child might not work at all for yours, right? That's where the process of experimentation comes in. As a parent, you experiment with different things to figure out what works for your individual child. And then you progressively adapt those experiments until you find what actually works for them, right? That's a process. And as long as you are patient with yourself in realizing that's a process, you're going to do very well. Of course, you also have to give yourself a lot of grace along the way because, unfortunately, I wish it were otherwise, but our best, most well-intentioned experiments do not always turn out the way that we hope. So we have to give ourselves grace and not fall into the trap of self-condemnation. But this experimentation process is kind of blunted by what we learn from schooling. 
See, what I'm trying to describe here is I'm trying to describe these beliefs that oppose one another. We have a child. We know that we need to figure out what's best for them. But then we come up against this belief that, yeah, but we're not certified. We're not qualified somehow to be making these decisions, right? And as a result, um, you know, we, we have to rely on the experts. Well, you know, one of the things that is kind of interesting is that, um, you know, I think, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Um, the real, the real problem in all of this is that the school system is very good at preserving and protecting itself. And what I mean by that is that at the end of the day, people have a very hard time thinking about schooling any differently than how they were trained to do it. So for example, I was just talking a moment ago about standardized tests and grades versus what learning actually is. Again, learning is when you can teach something in simple terms to someone else, you have learned it. If you can't do that, you're merely familiar with it. Okay. And and that's that's an important distinction. So it's kind of it's things like this that parents will consistently come up against in their beliefs when they're making decisions and choices for their children, they think, oh gosh, I'm not qualified somehow. Now, let me let me just say, there's nothing wrong with getting input and advice from people that, uh, you know, for example, I, I just found parents that, one of the things I did was I found parents that I respected, that I I knew them, so I knew they weren't kind of putting a public face. I knew that they were real people and I knew that their kids were real people and I knew that what was happening in their family was really good and I wanted to learn from them, right? Now, that that's a positive thing when you can have somebody who mentors you, who's a little further along, who, who can give you input. And again, that's that's all we're trying to do here is we're just trying to take the things that we've learned by making mistakes and and doing things the wrong way and 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 not doing uh, things the best and and out of our errors and mistakes just try to give you the benefit of that so you can be a lot further along than we ever were when we were in your shoes but you know it's good to get input from people i just want to encourage you this and I, i'm going to say this over and over and over and over again until you just believe it by the sheer weight of repetition but you are the number one expert in the world on your own children. And you may be tempted to dismiss that as sunshine, like, well, I'm just trying to hype things up. I'm just trying to make you feel all good. No, I'm really not. I'm just being as honest and blunt with you as I possibly can. And I'll prove it to you. I want you to think about what person on this planet loves your children more than you do. What person on this planet is more committed to your children's success than you are? Answer, no one. So you are the one who is perfectly positioned 
to continue this process, to engage in this process of experimentation, to figure out what is going to work for your child and help them become the best version of themselves. You, you are the one who's best positioned to do that. Not the school system, not teachers, not anybody. You know, I, I was a teacher. I'm not here to badmouth teachers, but let me just let you in on something, uh, parents. You know, let's say this teacher was the best teacher ever. They're Socrates 2.0. They have 30 kids in a class. They probably teach at least five classes. That means they have 150 kids. Do the math. They're giving your kid one 150th of their best. On your worst day, you can do better than that. On your worst day. So that's what I mean about this, this notion that somehow parents are unqualified or they're going to mess up their kids because they're not qualified or they just don't have what it takes. These are, these are fears that, you know, I, I shared with you in the first couple of podcasts, you know, these are fears I understand, I connect with, I relate to, I was wrestling with them. I was in the, I was swimming in those fears. But I've, I've, on the other side of it, I can tell you there is no one better than you. Listen, God has seven and a half billion people on planet earth to choose from. He could have given your kids to anyone he wanted, but he gave them to you. He gave them to you because he trusts you with them and he believes that you can do something with those kids that no one else can. Now, the only question remains, if God trusts you, do you trust you? Do you trust you? And I just want you to you know, start thinking about these beliefs and, and where they came from and how they might be affecting your thinking and, and be willing to challenge those beliefs when they are getting in your way. So, We'll talk more about this, but I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I mean, I say this every time, and honestly, there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and you chose to listen to ours. We're so grateful. Please check out our website, PK4L, PK4L tongue twister, PK4L.com for more resources. Please click on the link in the show description. Download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day.